Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to that person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the liturgy that really prepares our hearts for your word. Lord, may the messenger be seated and may the message of your gospel go forth now in the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. All of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's middle of June and people are still talking about the wedding, the great royal wedding, Prince Harry, Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. They are uh, still being watched every little detail, but on that day of the wedding back in May, how many camera angles did we see? How many well choreographed movement, every little wave, every little placement, The timing was flawless as they came in. Did you notice the commentators and all the the watchers were focused on who's sitting where? Who's sitting closest to the queen? Where's Meghan's mom? Where are all the, where, where is everyone seating? And it gives us a little glimpse of even with the royal protocol of a, of a magical other place that, that, where people sit and how the priorities, especially at very formal things like weddings, it means something. And that's why when we go to here to our passage, we will see exactly why it means something more than we can really understand. So thankfully, as we looked at that passage, we see that the Pharisees have invited Jesus in and they've come to watch him, but Jesus turns the tables on him and he observes the hearts and minds of all the Pharisees, of all the guests. He heals someone, they they, uh, have a nice little uproar, he silences them, and then then he tells this parable that we just read. So what is this parable? It's about a wedding feast, you have one host and many guests, you have many seats, but only a few of the special seats of honor, the VIP seating. It creates two choices amongst some of the guests. Friction, angst prompts them to start looking, jockeying for their position. And the race is on. Who gets the good seats with the important people and who gets the cheap seats with the commoners? And all this plays out right before Jesus. He masterfully weaves this thing in. In these verses, you have the word to invite, kaleo. It's four times in five verses, making it abundantly clear that this passage And this event, everyone who is there 
has been invited. No, no one is going on their own. I deserve to be there. They're all invited guests. They're all invited by one host who is in control, who is the authority of all. This person is the one choosing and the one deciding. It seems like a little, a little game of musical chairs, does it not? As one is moving up and others are moving down. So here's the deal. We have one choice and we have two outcomes. One's good and one's bad. So the first choice. The guests may launch out and take their place of honor. The outcome is short-term fame and long-term shame. Their choice is bad. The second choice. You sit in the lowest seat and your, short, your option here is short-term pain but long-term gain. Theirs was the good choice. In fact, even better, notice that the host in this passage, he says, friend, friend, move up. So it's even a relationship. There's something there versus the go, move down. Friend, move up. So the choice is good. The choice is indeed wise. So what is this place of honor? We've definitely entered into not the royal wedding of today, but ancient Mediterranean culture where seating and placement is critical. In fact, it's really about our self-worth. It's about their identity, what distinguishes them. It's social hierarchy. It's, it's reinforcing social order. This seating is far more than just like, I want the VIP seats, I want front row versus back. This is all about the established order of the day in this culture, especially when it gets involved with the sort of an honor and shame culture that it's, it's going on here. And the shame here is even worse because it's self-inflicted by the choices that the people seating make. So this is actually much bigger than we can imagine. You come here on Sunday morning and you, you take your seat here. Imagine if they came and they said, you need to get up and go over there. You know, we would feel shame then. That'd be terrible. No one do that here, okay? Welcome everybody. Love people, even if they're sitting in your seats. Love them well. But here, it is amazing what happens. Because Jesus isn't acting like the Emily Post of Israel, correcting their etiquette. He's actually going to the heart of who they are and what they are doing. It's filled with irony and paradox. The seat grabbers who actually crave the high status actually receive the shame. The Pharisees who invited Jesus to observe him, Jesus observes them and their hearts. And then the paradox that we actually used in our confession was so incredible. The kingdom values, Jesus' kingdom, the way up is the way down. Those who, who bless and give, it is those who actually receive. The repenting soul is actually the victorious soul. And those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who, who are humbled will be exhausted. In those situations, it exposes their hearts, and not only their hearts, but actually my heart too, and your heart as well. What are we really trying to do with our actions? So in case we missed it, in this parable, Jesus makes it explicitly clear. In some of the parables, the meaning is a little veiled, but here he's straightforward. He makes it clear, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so you think about all that's happening here. And all this is happening, and yet they're missing the main thing. You go to a wedding, and you see the bride and the groom. And they're focused on seating. They're missing the main thing. And the other thing that is very humbling about this, notice it's a categorical statement. Everyone, everyone, every person who humbles himself will be exalted. There's a great promise in there. But biblical humility, what is it? We all struggle with it. There's a great way to get no one to come to church and to say, hey, we're doing a whole series on humility, right? No, nobody is really interested in how can I, you know, be more humble. We don't love it as a culture. We don't necessarily enjoy it personally. But biblical humility is grounded in the character of God, our, our magnificent and holy God. He condescends, humbles himself to us. Our, our humility is not just a thing we do, but it's a real attitude of our lives. It's the way we abide. It's a posture we take, more than just an action every once in a while. The Lord makes this very clear in Micah 6. And you, half of you all could probably quote this verse. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and then walk humbly with your God. This is indeed one of the key ways that we abide and we walk. This is not a peripheral thing, biblical ability. It is undeniable in Jesus. Remember Philippians 2? Oh, this is a powerful summary of what Jesus does. Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself in, the form, in human form and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Christ chose to be humbled. He chose to be humbled and then was exalted. And then this one actually kind of stops me in my tracks that God opposes the proud. We don't want to be on that side of the equation. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we know that it's throughout every, everything. From Genesis to Revelation, we see humility. Here's C.J. Mahaney makes a great definition of humility. Humility is honesty, assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. That is the twin reality that all genuine humility is rooted in, God's holiness and our sinfulness. Without an honest awareness of both of these realities, all self-evaluation will be skewed and will fail to understand either the practice or even comprehend what true humility is. So, you still with me? You still excited about learning about humility? Here we go. Humility is uh, like, it's like sticking your hand in a bowl of jello and you kind of pull it out and you're like, okay, uh, how do I do this? You know, humility is hard. It's not a science. It's actually more about sacrifice. It feels hard. It's not quick. Nobody, you know, gets a PhD in humility. No one's trying to get there and no one's arrived with humility, as we well know. We drift away from humility. We recoil from it. We don't embrace it. Rare is the post on Instagram about humility, is it not? So here we are trying to understand about this humility and we, 
don't really get it. But contrary to popular opinion, being humble does actually does not require you to, to deny reality or even to deny your gifting, deny who you are, how the Lord has made you. If you're smart, if you're talented, if you won state, if you graduated summa cum laude, these things are good. By the way, I graduated summa cum laude, but that's another story. <laughs> there are some incredible people in this body. In fact, there was a, a young man who just graduated from high school this year. I was with him on a mission trip several years ago. I was amazed. He would go and talk to anyone about the Lord. He would love people. We couldn't even speak the language and he would get to know people. He served and served and served. There was not an ounce of pride in him. He just loved people. He was just humble. He was funny. And then I found out he's the salutatorian this year of his high school. And I thought, wow, you would never know that about him. That is a very godly, humble young man. And there are a lot more like it in this body that are brilliant, but you would have no idea. You really saw it echoed in Chad's story as well. And so Chad saw the profile of this church. He knew the Lord was calling him. He didn't say, oh, I, this sure sounds like me, but I could never, I could, no, I, I, I don't know. Chad, gifting is incredible gifting. It's really unfair how, much, how many gifts he has. <laughs> and so when you think about his incredible way that he has a heart, a shepherd's heart, an incredible mind, and he actually reads and likes the book of church order. I mean, he is the full deal, right? <laughs> But if he denied that, if he, if he was like, had false humility, then it, that would not be of God, right? He knew the profile, he knew he fit the profile. So Nashville's gain is our loss, and we have lots of grief counseling afterwards as well. So I really like this one man's, this author wrote a very powerful thing about humility, and it's so good. He says, you don't grow in humility by pretending to be something you're not. You can be honest about your gifts and talents and grateful for the experiences, but sometimes we confuse humility with self-doubt or self-deprecation, when in fact, actually, this could be veiled pride. Humility, and this is so good, humility does not make you think less of who you are, but enables you to love others regardless of who they are. Humility is how love expresses itself towards those of different rank, status, position. It is the capacity to view everyone as ultimately equal under God. That is why pride is so damaging to love, Wilson goes on. Whether the love is for God or for your neighbors, the proud heart isn't the broken heart, but it's the bottled up heart from which love cannot flow. If we are all preoccupied with who people are and where they stand in the world's pecking order, then we'll miss all of this. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting out here. The wedding feast didn't make the guests prideful. It exposed their pride. It exposed who they really were. And isn't John the Baptist an incredible, encouraging example? Here John the Baptist is, he goes off, he has gifts, he has talents, he is committed, he is focused on the passion, and at the height of the ministry, Jesus comes, 
and he, he acknowledges that this is the Lord God. He was not, he's not even worthy to untie his sandals. All his disciples gather and they're saying, okay, wait, John, Jesus is taking all of the disciples. Everyone's leaving and falling. He's doing your deal. He's baptizing other people. Wait, wh what's going on here? And, and John has a choice, right? And look at what he says. He answers him, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's been given to him under heaven. You yourselves bear witness to it. I, you know that I've said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I must decrease, but he must increase. That is humility. That is exactly. He didn't deny who he was. He just embraced. And boy, we are, uh, we are prone to pride, right? We are prone to do this. It is an equal opportunity sin. Doesn't matter if you're liberal or conservative, Republican or Democrat, white, black, Asian, if you're a West Coast guy or an East Coast person, it doesn't matter. If you're a huge NRA person or a gun control advocate, pride is camped out in all sides. There's pride on CNN and there's pride on Fox. There's pride everywhere, right? You see it everywhere. It doesn't matter who you are, young or old, millennial, boomer, all have it. And I tell you who one of the best people to expose and to reveal our pride outside the scripture is none other than C.S. Lewis. I really thought I'm just gonna give everyone handouts of his chapter on pride because it's like enough said right there, that in the scripture. But let me highlight a couple things that Lewis says. He makes it clear that the opposite of humility is pride. Some people say that the opposite of, hum of humility is unbelief, and you can see that as well. Lewis makes the point that throughout all of church history, they, it circles down to the very bottom of the barrel, the root of most of vice, of most of our sins, is pride. It's the chief evil and the chief cause of misery in every nation and in every family throughout all time. And if we think about that, we know it rings true. So this is what he says, this is, this is awesome. So he says, God wants you to know him. And if you're really in touch with that, really in touch with that fact, you will be humble, actually delightfully humble. He goes on to say, you will feel infinite relief for you'll be getting rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity and all the things that make you restless and unhappy all your life. He says, if we meet a truly humble person, he will not be the sort of greasy, swarmy person who's always telling you, of course, this and of course that. He's nobody, he's no, I'm nobody. No, if you meet a humble person, probably all you'll think about him is he seems to be a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do not like him, it is because you feel envious of anyone who seems to actually enjoy life so easily. This man will not be thinking about humility, and here it comes, wait for it. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And that is, that is incredible expression of biblical humility. And so we know this is true. So in conclusion, I could say when you go to a wedding, take the low seat 
Don't choose the high seat. We could say that, but we got to get beyond just an action, just taking a specific thing and I'll do this once, but it's more our, life, our lifestyle. And of course, all of this is built, all of this is built on the gospel. We have to understand who we are in Christ as beloved sons and daughters. If you've put your faith in him and your trust in the Lord Jesus to rescue you, then this is for you. If right now you're listening and you have zero desire at all to know about what it means to humbly walk with the Lord, you might want to think, am I a believer? You might want to consider and ask yourself the harder questions. I'm not saying you're not. It's just worth a discussion with you and the Lord and you and maybe another person. Humility is the critical posture of all who are abiding with the Lord. J.C. Ryle says humility is the correct knowledge that one has in his heart. And likewise, ignorance of God is the great source of pride, the secret of pride. When you think about so many hymns, I was caught by Rock of Ages just the other day at a memorial service, and there's this one line that says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. So true humility makes us really understand who we are. Nothing to the cross we bring, nothing, not one thing. So true humility, according to Lewis, is not just thinking, is, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And humility, actually, in relationships is incredible. And in our marriage ministry and re-engage, we talk a lot about humility. We see humility is essential in a marriage. Pride is like a cancer in a marriage. And in re-engage, we say this, that having an accurate understanding of who you are, which leads you to treating others as more important than yourself. It's actually good, humility is actually good for us. It actually makes us want to know how we can walk humbly with, with the Lord. The other thing that we said, and this is incredible to me, is that in re-engage we talk about as we walk with Jesus in humility, we realize that humility doesn't take something from you, it does something for you when you understand the grace of God has shown to you in spite of your brokenness. In fact, embracing humility is, get this, embracing humility is probably one of the best ways to help your marriage grow and change your marriage if you're on a downward spiral. Humility helps your marriage. It helps all your relationships. It helps you go and abide with Him. So let me ask you, how are you doing on social media? How are you doing with your, all the posts that you have? Why do you post? What's the point of it? How are you doing when you talk to other parents about your kids? This one's so hard when someone else's kid does really well and you're like, oh, that's great, that stinks, that's great, that's awesome, <laughs> you know? And how do we deal with it? It's so hard, it kind of brings our, our kids out. You know, our desire to like, oh, my kid's better than your kid, kind of feeling, it's tough. How about in work? Oh my goodness, humility has to be one of the hardest things to do in a very vicious, competitive environment. 
PCPC at work may be able to help you with that. How do we be humble at work and understand our roles at work? Are you a name dropper? Are you happy when other people fail? Do you celebrate when other people do well? How do we? The, all these things trigger and, and expose our pride, just like the seating arrangements in the parable do. Humility in professional sports is probably one of the hardest. It's hard to see in, in professional football and the Cowboys at times, humility displayed, but we saw it not too long ago with Jason Witten. Did you see Jason Witten's retirement when Jason Garrett was explaining why he loves Jason Witten? He talked about all the different things about who he was, and then he shared this story. Coach Jason Garrett shared this story and recounted in, in five minutes what took him 30 minutes to do at a training camp three years ago. Coach Garrett asked Jason Witten to explain his signature move, his signature play, the Y option. This was his play. And as you well know, after 1,100 catches, probably half of them were on the Y option. And so as Jason Garrett explained this, his voice cracking, tears, he was fighting back. He said, it was one of the greatest presentations I've ever seen in football. The demonstration, the detail, the particular way he, he explained his body position, the route, his eyes, it was mind-boggling. But it's what he did next that stunned everyone. At the end of the presentation that Witten gave at training camp, he paused and he said this, but I'll tell you, this is why this play really works. It's because of Des Bryant and why Des is so great. It's because of the O-line, because of Smith and Leary and Frederick and Zach Martin and Purnell. It's because the O-line was incredible and they did their part. And then he went on, he talked, he talked about what Cole Beasley did, about DeMarco Murray did, and about Romo. He talked about all the other players. Jason Garrett, was recounting this story, tears now coming down his face. And Garrett said, it struck me that this play, his signature play, he did not make the speech about himself. He did what Witten always does. He makes it about everyone else. He makes it about the team. And that is humility. And so many people were stunned by that in the NFL. So when we see humility, it, it's attractive, especially when we see someone like Jason Witten do it. And I've seen humility here at PCPC in ways that are amazing. Can I just be honest with you? I, I didn't always enjoy session meetings where all the elders gather. They haven't been always the most spiritually exciting moments until I came here. The ruling elders here and the teaching elders, the ruling elders, I love, I love them. They are godly, humble men. They defer to one another. You, I wish all of you could see a session meeting. It is incredible to watch the humility, the apologies. They're not trying to be like big you know, alpha males controlling things. They're trying to be humble men of God who know their office and they seek to do God's will. It is incredible. I love them, I'm humbled by them. 
I'm humbled by so many people that serve in this church in so many hidden ways. People who do urban ministry, the missionaries that go all around, pastors, wives are amazing, humble. I'm, I'm born in Texas and I'm proud Texan. I love to win, we love to go big, right? But humility is the way to finish well. And that is what is critical. So will you consider your humility? Will you consider what it means for you to humbly walk with the Lord? Would you be willing to submit yourself to, to another person? Tell them the things you struggle with. Actually tell them, I struggle with pride, help me, pray, pray for me. Would you be willing to be brutally honest with yourself about things? Expose your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses so that nothing can keep us from abiding with the Lord. Will you talk less, listen more? So no matter what, we can remember this. We can remember that though our gap between where we want to be and humbly walking with the Lord and where God is calling us to be and where we are now, these are huge chasms, but yet the gospel is great, brothers and sisters. The gospel is incredible. And we remember that Jesus himself humbled himself, born in a manger, was tempted, hungry, lonely, left the glories of heaven to experience the muck and mire of, of this earth. And he did this to save us, to help us, to change us. So again, remember what Philippians 2 says. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being in the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Look, let us look at the interests of others and not our own. And having this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not equate equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and taking on the form of a servant. May we go in his way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, teach us now what it means to walk humbly with you. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.